This is Mike Montero. I'm Erica Hall. This is Larissa Berger. We're broadcasting from Mule Design Studio in beautiful North Beach, San Francisco. This is Voice of Design. Deep breath. Welcome uh, to another episode of The Voice of Design. I'm Erica Hall. And I'm Larissa Berger. And we are coming to you from North Beach in San Francisco, where the atmospheric river has finally dried up temporarily. Atmospheric river. Wow. That was it. What was a naming. A lot. It, it, it was it, dumping in a was, way I've never seen in San Francisco. And there was thunder. There was thunder. And there was thunder. Yeah. Oh, it's like real God. rain. Yeah, and we are we are being uh, joined today uh, by Lynn Polischuk, West Coast pal, but up in Vancouver. And how is Vancouver? Well, we're also doing our week of winter, uh, annual week of winter. So it's, you know, it's been snowing, but today slushing. So it's good times. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and it's not, probably not even like a nice flavor, like cherry or Coca-Cola. No. Or coconut. No, gray, nasty. Um, and we don't do winter up here. Like, you know, you folks don't do rain well. We don't do snow well. We have two snow plows and a lot of hills and people who don't know how to deal with it. So it's been, <laughs> it's been a week. We were excited to talk to you because we, you know, we talk all the time about uh, design and research and small weird dogs. Mm-hmm. And how would you describe your work? My work. So I think more recently, I have become like over the past couple of years, I would call myself a user researcher. That's sort of where I've netted out. I've done a lot of things along the way, but that's sort of the the bulk of my work is doing user research. And um, also over the past couple of years, like getting more into the whole research ops situation, like learning more about how research can be supported um, and what's required to actually make research at any scale go. So he's a researcher slash, you know, neophyte research ops person. The ops uh, suffix is super popular on everything now. It started with DevOps, then it got then design ops. And now I think since research gets neglected so often, I think research ops. Yeah, get it in there. We need our ops. And scale it. Everybody wants to to scale all the things. Yes. Yes. I just used all the buzzwords I could. Yeah. It's good design thinking. Yeah. Voice interface. Get, get, we'll get them all, all in here. Let's get them all in. Let's get it out of our system right now. How did you get into this stuff? Because like everybody, everybody good at this has like an interesting, wacky background. I totally have a yeah. Everybody came in through a side door. <laughs> totally. I started out working in museums. And when I say that to people, I always get like a one eyebrow raise, but I did (laughs) about 15 years ago, I moved to Vancouver to kind of pursue that museum career that I had always envisioned and that I'd been working towards. And uh, I got sidetracked into working for a friend's newly started up company. And they were like four people literally with like an office in the back of a dry cleaners at this point. And, you know, I basically had my boss hand me his credit card and point me at Google AdWords and be like, 
do this. And I was like, oh, there's ads on Google. Like that's how like in its <laughs> infancy of this, it was, you know, this is like 2003. And so I started off in marketing just by accident. You know, I got completely sidetracked into that. Um, working for this company, it went from like four people to 18 people to 40 people in like the space of 18 months. It was rapid growth. But my boss at the time was really hyper-focused on metrics and stats and analytics. It was an e-commerce business. So that was like, you know, our cost for acquisition was like this thing that like hung over my head. So I started getting more into that, um, into web analytics. And I ended up being in one of the first cohorts of the University of British Columbia's web analytics certification. And Avinash Koshik, uh, who was the evangelist for analytics at Google, I think at the time he was sort of the proponent behind that and very big on voice of customer. So I started doing web analytics work, uh, marketing to web analytics and web analytics was interesting because, you know, when you can go to your boss and say, hey, you know, this page is costing us like $30,000 a month, their immediate response is always going to be like, we'll fix it now. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of like what pushed me into the design crowd because I started working really closely with my designers at, you know, different projects and companies I was working at, you know, realizing that like design has a huge impact. So I'm not someone that like came out of design school. I came out of like museum school <laughs> and, and then, you know, started working through, as I say, marketing to web analytics to design because web analytics was kind of showing us, you know, where things were broken and what it was costing us, but not specifically how or why. When I started working more in design, you kind of get to a point with design, like that sort of local maximum where you can't do any more design that will fix things or change things substantially. And I realized that we really, you know, needed to talk to some customers. And this is also a new thing to me. This is probably like 2008. And I went to my boss and I said, hey, there's this thing called usability testing. We should be doing it. And he said, okay, here's some budget. Find somebody to do it. And I actually reached out at the time to Sherry Thoreau. I'd been reading like her search analytics stuff and SEO stuff and was getting very interested in that. And she was very busy. And she basically said to me, you don't need me. Just do it yourself bring in some people, sit them down, like watch them use the product. It'll be fine. That was how I started. So I started doing usability testing. And at that point really realized how impactful um, having that input from users and customers was and how much easier it got to design things when we knew what to design and we weren't just guessing. Magic. I asked people. So <laughs> it, it just, it kind of flowed from there. I went independent probably in 2009 yeah, it's been 10 years, which is crazy. I started doing sort of freelance and consulting work with a lot of different companies, everybody from like the government of British Columbia to, you know, we did some work from with Stanford. I did work with ADP. It was kind of like all over the place in various capacities. So sometimes doing more web analytics things because you have companies say, oh, we've spent like a bazillion dollars on these Omniture tools, come and set them up. And then I'd show up and I'd ask really annoying questions like, what are your business goals? And <laughs> everybody hates that question, right? God, this girl's annoying. But I, you know, it was just this whole thing of like, you know, they wanted just to plug in the tools, but you know, th there's more that's required than that. I had a lot of projects that were like, make us dashboards. And I've always said, you know, like dashboards are where good data goes to die. Cause you build that dashboard. No one's ever going to look at it again. 
a waste of time. So I started drifting more into the UX side of things, using that combination of like the web analytics background I had, using this like newfound skill of like actually talking to people and doing usability testing, which at that time in my career was research. And just kind of, you know, over the past while, like working through the product development process and realizing as I've gone through it, how important research is and how key foundational research is. There was a period of time in my career where I was working with a lot of startups and, you know, you go and see these folks and they'd be like, oh, we've done research. We did product market fit. We're good. (laughs) And you'd be like, you know, actually like accosting someone in a Starbucks and asking them if they use your app is not research. (laughs) I think that's a prosecutable offense. (laughs) Right? Do you like my app? I'll give you a cookie. So that, you know, realizing that like that, that's not enough. And, um, you know, I think over the past couple of years, as I've worked with sort of bigger clients and and bigger products, you know, gone from stuff, working on things that has tens or hundreds of millions of users, you really start to kind of, you know, see the impact that research has. And, And so to me, it feels very organic. But when I describe it to people, they kind of go, what? Um, I think a lot of designers, especially I've had a lot of designers over my career sort of say to me, like, do I need to know about business? Like, are stats important? Uh, deep sigh, deep, <laughs> deep sigh. We're here to build bridges. We are here. I know. Bridges. I know. And exactly. And so, and this is why I've always loved talking to Erica. She gets it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's been kind of like a weird sort of journey over the past, you know, 10, 15 years of you know, really working down from just worrying about marketing to really dealing with just people one-on-one and and trying to figure out how we can bring those voices and that input into the product development process and, and building from there. So it feels like a very windy road, but that's kind of how I ended up here. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a really interesting road because I think a lot of, you know, we, we talked a lot about the resistance to asking questions and the resistance to doing research because it feels like you're taking time away. Right. Instead of doing the thing that makes everything go faster and decreases risk and increases chance of success and uncovers cool, innovative ideas. Right. And that's such a huge challenge. But once you're in it, then you think, oh, how does anybody function Right. How do you not do this? Yeah, without this. And so if we could just somehow take your career trajectory and compress (laughs) it, right? Because you came from the place that I think a lot of designers and researchers want to be able to speak to and say, hey, marketing people, hey, analytics people, I want you to care about Mm -hmm. the foundational stuff. I want you to care about the qualitative stuff. So have have you found, um, given your background that you're better able to make the case for the stuff you know we shouldn't have to make the case for i think so yeah i think it, i think it's come down to like speaking languages right like i've i've kind of used that metaphor in the past like i have found that i have had success with you know executive level because I can speak their language. I think, you know, if you kind of go in and you talk in really esoteric terms about design and inspiration and all this stuff, it's a little, mm, I don't know. Um, but if you can kind of say, you know, I, I realize that like you want to increase revenue with existing customers by X in X number of months. And, you know, like if you can speak their language, which tends to be numbers and, you know, that level, it helps. It kind of, I, I found that that has helped. 
I think it was uh, 2012, I did a talk with uh, Julie Strothman, who's another awesome designer up in Vermont, about you know, why you should care, why you need to learn this language of business and how it's important to sort of move design forward in your organization, having this, this language that you can kind of speak and why you should care about analytics. And I, I think it's gotten better since then. I think one thing that I've learned more since then is that it, it has to be a mix. You can't just kind of be all quant, all qual. I have found that like it needs to be both. You need to kind of have both of those competencies mm-hmm. to sort of make it work. You know, I think when I was only concerned with metrics and analytics and stats, I missed a lot of stuff, you know? And then once I realized, oh, okay, I need to do the qual piece. I need to talk to people. All those numbers start making sense. And you can start kind of speaking to your bosses and your your C-suite folks about how those two are interrelated. Until I had a grasp of both, I couldn't do that well though. Yeah, because I, I I so much want to break down these dichotomies, you know, because I think yeah. a lot of designers, like designers get frustrated with, you know, not getting the attention from business people or from the quant side or not getting, you know, in some organizations, the quant people are actually the gatekeepers to not only the data, but to the, the access to the people. Yeah. And then you say, well, you know, you should be able to speak some of that language. You should be able to talk about design in business terms. Like there are some designers who think, cool, that's great. I want to keep learning. I, I want my rhetoric to be more powerful. And then there are still other designers who say, that's not my job. Yeah. And, uh, or that's politics. Oh, that's, and yeah, I don't want to participate in politics. Yeah. Design isn't, d- design is so political, right? Even work right. is political. Like yeah, all this right. stuff is political. But right. I think when you say like speaking somebody else's language, to me, I mean, that's kind of almost fundamentally what we're here to do. You know, mm-hmm. if we're if we're focused on the interface that people interact with, that is just extending language mm-hmm. through, you know, different ways and behaviors and habits that we observe. Like yeah. ultimately yeah. synthesizing that is what we do. And so doing that for not just how you're reaching customers and users, but also how you're going to reach like that executive team yeah. seems like in our wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like designers like human centered, but not at work. Yeah. You know, the right. humans outside the building that I work in, or if, if you're in a company where nobody goes to a building, it's like, you know, the, the, your work humans, the humans in your Slack channel, like people never think, oh, my processes have to be human centered inside the organization. And that's right. the first place you have to start. Exactly. Well, yeah. exactly. I think synthesis is an interesting thing and, and maybe translation is a word too, because I found that, you know, the best researchers I've worked with have functioned as that, you know, intermediary or that conduit between business and design. You know, they've kind of got a foot in either one and can translate between the two groups or at least transmit, you know, the what needs to kind of go back and forth between the two. Because I think it's it's hard, especially if you're working on bigger products or in bigger companies and, you know, the more complexity that's there, it's hard to be all the things, right? And I think that's one thing I've noticed is that, you know, if you have an organization that has, you know, even a remotely competent research team, they get further ahead because the research team can kind of translate what's going on from a business level through the people filter, the human filter, Mm -hmm. and kind of help designers infer and interpret what they need to from that in order to kind of get at the strategic objectives that they're getting from on high. Sure. Yeah. 
And that's not to say too, like that this is suited to every organization at every phase, Mm -hmm. you know, like there are absolutely those organizations that are just not at the point where they know how to take in that feedback. Right. Yeah. And, and being able to kind of like see that and say like, okay, this is just not where you are right now. And your product might not benefit from this and your business doesn't depend on it. Because when we're just speaking about like designers caring about business, the, the biggest way that I feel like I came to want that to be more of my focus, even though I didn't like leave school being like, yeah, business <laughs> was, was honestly that I wanted my work to get like prioritized. Yeah. Yeah. And so priority is the big word. Yeah. Yeah. And so I felt like excited. I, I found a way to get excited about like fixing the downloads page because that had such a clear business outcome yeah. that would be really helpful. And I, I often like really encourage designers just starting in their careers, like find something that connects to the bottom line because you'll have so much clarity about what the goals and purpose are um, that you can take to these kind of what you might feel are like more interesting design projects, but where there's like lots of kind of complicated incentives or exchanges that have to happen for that piece to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And priority again is like such a huge word. I think that's one big thing that research really helps with is, you know, understanding what's going to have the biggest impact where I think you see these product teams and they're trying to do everything or they're really focusing on things that are not going to have a big impact, but they don't know that, you know, because they haven't really dug into the workflow or the needs of the actual customer. So I think that's been a big piece. And that's kind of for me where like the quant qual play comes in to the work that I do as I've tried to, as I've moved into kind of bigger projects um, and bigger, you know, products with bigger customer bases over the last little while, you know, I really had to think hard about like, okay, how can we be like focused and strategic in our approach to doing research? Because, you know, you've gone into situations where it's like, well, we want to learn about small business owners. (laughs) You kind of go, okay, well, that's a big group. So how do we, how do we make that manageable and, you know, actually using some sort of quantitative methods and that like, you know, kind of been doing an approach where we've really co-opted the idea of like marketing segmentation, but used it to build kind of behavioral attitudinal profiles of different audience segments and map out how those kind of extrapolate to the wider world. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, this, if this is your audience, this group of constituents within that makes up. 21% of it, and they are exactly who we want to target, then we can kind of go and like look at doing more in-depth research in that one segment, as opposed to trying to just like small business owners (laughs) and sort of passing this like crazy huge net. So there's that idea of like, again, that two-sided quant qual approach that you can use to sort of help. And then, you know, by I think quant helps you understand quantities, like how many are out there, you know, and, and that helps you to prioritize. And I think that's a big thing that research can help organizations do is prioritize. But yeah, I don't think any designer comes out of school going, I want to learn business, but you're right. Like tying your, your abilities to things that have impact on bottom line is, is huge. Yeah. Cause design, and this is something I think gets conveniently forgotten, like design, it's a profession, it's a business thing. It's not art. Like, of course there's, there is design. I don't know if rises to the level of art is, is the right way to put it, but there, there is design that I'd say crosses that boundary line. 
Mm-hmm. But what design is, is you have a purpose and often there's some exchange of money involved. Like you design a thing mm-hmm. that can be sold or exchanged for something else of value mm-hmm. or you're designing thing to serve some purpose. And so if you're doing design in the interests of a the business purpose, like you should really, like that's part of it. That's part of what mm-hmm. you're doing. You're not just creating an artifact for its, for its own sake. And I think, right. yeah, I feel like like design schools or traditional design education don't necessarily focus on that part. Like I was lucky enough to have no. my first agency job, like my first real, like that was like design design job working on things that were called design projects was for the studio that Clement Mock started. And he wrote a book mm-hmm. in the late 20th century about the business value of design and about crossing those boundaries. And so it's not like a new thing, you know, when it, so whenever no. I hear when you've been in this business long enough, you're like the same things come around, like content strategy is a thing or Hey, yeah. like design is a strategic business necessity. Right. And you're like, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. We've thought of that again. Right. And I think a lot of businesses have started to kind of embrace design, like going, okay, yeah, design is a thing. We need design. And so, you know, they, like IBM is a good example. They built this amazing, unbelievable design team and they've recently started to like disassemble it. And there's all these pieces at play. You know, I think you can have a great design team and an outstanding design team, but if you don't have the research component, you know, you, it starts to, I find it starts to disintegrate a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think so now businesses are starting to go, oh, we need research, like research, research. Everybody's trying to hire researchers. But again, I fear there's a, about having the same breakdown because I think a lot of folks, they want research, but they don't understand how to use research and they don't understand where research sits between business and design. And it's tough. And I think like, it's also, you know, research, you have a lot of folks who do research who come very much from like my like non-design background. They're either very academic, you know, they're, they're fantastic ethnographers or researchers in an academic sense, but maybe they haven't worked in like a product or a business context, you know, they're not familiar with design. So it's, it's all these pieces that need to like play well together for the optimal Mm -hmm. result. And I find that there's disconnects that make it difficult for, for researchers, for designers, for business folks to kind of see how all those pieces can potentially play together. Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. And what it comes to is strategy. Yes. Yeah, that word. And that word, that sounds like such a weird, expensive term, like, oh, you're going to have yeah. strategy. But you shouldn't do any complicated endeavor in business or in life without having some sort of strategic plan, you know, some sense of what's your purpose? uh, How do you know if you're successful? What are all the components? How are all these components related by meaning or by exchange of value? And you have to do that before bringing these things in and scaling them up. And I think you're totally right that businesses embrace like there's something called design. Somebody IDEO told me I should do design thinking. and then they brought in these teams and then didn't connect it to the business. They just thought, no. oh, and they still treated it, even though they said, oh, we understand design is a strategic necessity to business. They yeah. didn't connect what that meant. Like what are design decisions in business? Yeah. And they're like, oh, what, how do we use the findings and research, right? They put a noun on it instead of having like, what are we doing and how does that connect to 
what makes our business successful. And you have to do that work, which is often uncomfortable because you have to take a hard look at your operation. You can't just say, oh, we've made this a priority. We're hiring a bunch of people because I can tell you, I have talked to researchers working at IBM and who an organization that did have a strong commitment and they're really like, like really like smart people, a lot of times with really great backgrounds and they're given no goals. Like I talked to some researchers from IBM who said, yeah, they just tell us like study something in this area. And not only does the, the research itself not have a goal or a success criteria for the research other than, oh, go learn something. But then there's an absolute disconnect between what's being learned and what makes the business successful. Right. Exactly. What's really weird about those environments is that I feel like the business thinks often or um, business is a very vague term here, um, that they're kind of giving space to designers and researchers by suspending that business reality from them. Yeah. But then they give like a pretty limited time, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, we want like blue sky research or we want this design that just like emerges. And I mean, I've in some cases had to do research in secret and, and just say, you know, make up a new reason for like how I came up with X idea when I was really just doing like analogous research and products mm-hmm. that were similar or like, you know, spending my evenings doing that um, because I was stuck and we were working in these environments that don't really lend themselves to kind of solving design problems or, or right. communication problems. And Lynn, I found it so interesting what you were saying about analytics and how you use that earlier in your career to kind of say like, oh, wait, this page isn't loading properly and that's actually costing us us money. And now like the web landscape is so different yeah. Um, because there's, you know, all these different layers and frameworks on top of frameworks of things. We've, oh, yeah. We build things really differently. And so how has that impacted your use of analytics or how have you seen analytics change in how you use that to present your work? So there's a lot going on there. I mean, most recently there's just been all this kerfuffle about like all the analytic data is fake and (laughs) (laughs) awesome. But a couple things. I mean, I think of research and Erica, you brought up the word strategy. There's strategic research and there's kind of tactical research. Over the past year, I was working with a company and it really started to become clear to me that there are, you know, we talk about like maturity of an organization Mm -hmm. and research design. Like, what does that mean? Um, Really, like in a day-to-day sense. And so I think in research, there is strategic and tactical research. And then similarly with like analytics and metrics, I look at it in a a similar way. I mean, there are kind of like strategic metrics, which are, what's our revenue like? Is our, you know, are we growing? Like, what's our growth rate? What's, you know, is everything going up and to the right? Like, those are kind of like overarching strategic metrics. Are we achieving what we need to achieve? And then there are like, tactical metrics, which are, we launched this feature. Are people using it? You know, like, are they uploading photos? Are they putting PayPal buttons in? Like, so there's, there's kind of like this scale of types of metrics that tell you on a high level, if you're doing well, and then on like a granular level, are the design decisions we're making having impact or are they actually working? So I think it really depends, like in terms of presenting my work, where that level of work sits. And, you know, at the high level, if we're looking at like levels of research, 
foundational research is, is strategic research. It's, you know, we want to understand all these things about this, this constituency of users, their context, their stress, their behaviors, their attitudes. We want to understand all these things so that we can make strategic decisions about which direction our product is going to go in. And then you kind of drill down into more tactical levels of research, which are like, okay, so we've decided that we want to do all this work with users who are service providers. And we want to understand now how they handle bookings. So maybe we're going to do like foundational research, but like foundational around bookings. And we're going to look and see how we're going to talk to people about how they handle that. Still kind of at a strategic level because you're trying to come up with like product concepts. And then once you've done that bookings research, the next level down would be okay. So we've thought about it from a product design standpoint and a design standpoint. These are some concepts we think might work. And then you might take those concepts to users and kind of do some concept vetting with users to see like, mm, does this make sense? Would this kind of fit with what you you think or how you think about bookings? And then like the lowest level right down on the granular level would be that usability testing. Um, okay, we've designed this feature against this concept that we vetted and we're going to put this in front of people and see if we can refine it or if it actually works. So there's like this strata of research, levels of research that you do. And I think what's difficult is that oftentimes researchers get brought in and the organization that has hired a researcher just thinks of research as that usability testing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's like a chore that they have to do to complete a design. <laughs> to, to quote validate, right. which is a, a word I would like to right. strike. Because that just means yeah. you want to be proven right. Like we made this investment and I, I need a last ditch. Like yeah. prove I'm right so I don't get fired for making this huge investment. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's the whole idea of like, you know, we built this fancy car, but like maybe they only needed a bicycle. The foundational research is kind of the like, do we need a car or a bicycle level research? So I think, and in the same way, there's different numbers and things you look at as you kind of roll down through that straight. I mean, like at the very top level, I you know, I mentioned before about, you know, we did segmentation studies and we kind of looked at like opportunity, like does this audience exist? Is it out there? You know, and it's, it's not cheap to do this work to do segmentation studies, you have to kind of go out and survey thousands of people and mm -hmm. kind of see, does this behavior, this profile, this attitude exist? And if it does, okay, then there's like a reason to sort of go forward and do foundational research and start on that road down to usability testing. You know, but I think a lot of people either, they, they kind of do one or the other, like they, they just do the, the high level stuff. And then they're like, designers here, be creative. Um, <laughs> which is, right. Which is so hard on designers too. Right. Because it's sort of, you know, I've always felt for designers, like they're a little bit set up to fail. They're not really given any goal, but they're supposed to kind of achieve it. And that's, that's hard. Or, you know, research is just usability testing, which is just how well does our car work that we're not sure people actually need which again, you can design an awesome car, but if nobody needs it, you know, it's not your fault. <laughs> that's what you were told to build. Right. So that's kind of where I find it hard. And I think what I find with quant data is, and Erica, you've written about this, where people try to replace the hard work of qualitative research with quant approaches, like, let's just send out a survey you know, I've joked about it that I've kind of like wielded Erica's posts on this, like a rolled up newspaper in different <laughs> organizations. I work with. Like, no, you have to talk to people. You can't do a survey. And I think that's kind of a problem that I've seen a lot where people will try to do 
all of one and not enough of kind of like having quant and qual inform each other, or, you know, they just do quant and then they have all these great numbers, but they don't know what it means. I worked with a designer last year. We worked together for a week and we talked to like eight or nine people about an onboarding that they were working on. And at the end of that week, you know, the response I got was, I've been looking at our funnel numbers for a year and I learned more in the past five days than I had in that entire previous year. It's just, it's this idea of like, okay, if you had done that upfront bit of talking to people, then you could have monitored the funnel to see if the changes you made had any impact, but doing it the inverse way just wasted a year. Yeah. And I think that's what you described is a really, uh, such a common situation where, you know, product companies rush to either prototype if you're lucky or just build the whole thing and then, you know, test and measure and evaluate without figuring out whether they've built the right thing. Yeah. It's really about the absence of a good, like we as designers talk about mental models all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a really poor mental model in business mm-hmm. and in design of what an evidence-based design process is. And I also think there's a poor mental model of that in research because I get people coming to me who have academic backgrounds in anthropology or ethnography. And they say, you know what the problem is? The problem is organizations just hire a bunch of designers who are good designers. They don't know about research and the designers just do research wrong. And if the organization just hired PhD ethnographers, then everything would be right. And I'm like, oh, sorry, my friend. I just had this interaction (laughs) like on LinkedIn like two days ago. I get the frustration when you're like, oh, all of these yahoos are running around being unprofessional. And meanwhile, I can't get a job or something like that. I said, the problem is like, if you bring academics and I've, I've talked to people this has happened to, if you bring in people who are optimizing for an academic standard of sociological research, that's different. And then they're like, I've done this great study. Why am I being ignored? And they don't have the rhetorical tools. Yeah. Or they don't have the model of how their work fits into the design right. process. And so then they're arguing and saying, well, you don't value my beautiful research. And it's like, no, everybody in an organization needs a shared mental model of how the design process goes and what questions you need to ask at what point and how you how you do that and how you incorporate the knowledge, how you remember the knowledge, right? There are so many researchers making beautiful reports that people just ignore. And so it's a real shared problem, but it comes from the like, hey, everybody, let's take a deep breath. Let's stop having territory battles. Yeah. And it doesn't take a long time. Like this is the thing, this is these, these, re- these workshops we do aren't to like teach people new tools or methodologies. It's to give everybody like a a day or two to say, okay, let's just level set. Cause let's, when we talk about doing research, what are we talking about? And it's not me. Yeah. Totally. But going back to first principles, like freaks people out. Cause they're like, ah, we're all going backwards. And it's like, you, you can take a day. You can take a day, my friend and stop setting fire to money. Right. And exactly, and I think that whole, you know, what does that mean when we say research? Because it's, you know, you do have people who think that like research is like academic research and it's going to take six months and, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and like, you know, and, and also too, we work with developers and programmers who, ex, you know, they kind of expect that rigor in some way, 
Like I've, I've found that too, that a lot of the developers and engineers I've worked with over my career are kind of skeptical of research unless they sort of, unless it's very like rigorous academic research. And I've kind of had to make the case of like structure more than rigor in some ways with research. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, if we have this like structure process and we have clear questions and we're going to get what we need, you know, like we don't need to talk to 500 people to make a decision. If we, we can talk to 20 people, if we have the right people and we ask the right questions and that's about, just kind of putting structure in our research. And, and that's the thing, like I've always kind of said, you know, take a step back. This is not going to be like PhD, like seriously deep academic research that we're going to do. We're going to put structure around it so that we are trying to eliminate that word that everybody loves, bias. And, you know, we're going to try and build some structure. But I think it's just that, Erica, is that people, when they hear research, they, there's just so many ideas of what it can mean and what it can look like. And I think, one excellent thing I've had gotten to do over the past couple of years is work with teams of designers on qualitative research who haven't done it before. And it's always awesome to kind of see them. I don't, I don't know anybody that goes into qualitative research, not afraid. Cause I think that's the other thing too, <laughs> is like qualitative research. It's scary. Talking to people is scary. It's like nobody even answers their phone anymore. We're all text-based. Yeah. We don't interact. So I think like, especially now, people view talking to strangers as like a scary, hard thing. And it is hard. I mean, research, there's a lot of logistics in getting all the right people together on the call and figuring out what questions to ask. I mean, qualitative research is hard, but if you do it, you immediately see the benefit of it. So I think like, just as you say, kind of level setting, getting everyone to understand what doing research means and then really putting some structure around it. I think that helps a lot with kind of getting organizations mature in terms mm-hmm. of research. You know, doing being a mature research organization doesn't mean that like everybody, you, you have a staff of like 60 highly experienced researchers. Right. I think to me, I would take like designers happy to do research and mm-hmm. willing to, to kind of engage. Yeah, it's a mindset and a process. And it doesn't need to feel like eating your vegetables. Like, I, I feel like I kind of over time came to really become like obsessed with research because yeah. I just felt stuck. Yeah. And that was frustrating. Yeah. And I didn't want to just continue to um, spin my wheels. Yeah. And it was eventually clear that the only way out of that was to talk to people or to yeah. kind of apply these research processes. But what I think is really tough about putting this into a technology context is that it still seems like the success of technology is so misunderstood and people really still struggle even to understand. I mean, I think it's it's actually much further along now than even when I started at Mule, but people are better able to understand why a team of programmers is successful, but it's, it still feels so much tied to their ability or their craft mm-hmm. and not necessarily to how they communicate. Yeah. And so I think that's part of why people feel like research should feel like eating your vegetables and doing the technique the right way, as opposed to how it kind of greases the rest of yeah, the process. Yeah, just how yeah. to do what you're doing better. Yeah. And, and the thing that's really... Uh, they just yeah. use the same like yeah. measuring stick. Yeah. Yeah. And it can get really frustrating because you think anybody who just goes through life does 
all these things in their daily life and then forgets yeah. that they apply again everybody like like signs onto their their slack or walks into the building and all of a sudden everything they know about being a human in the world evaporates <laughs> yeah. right because if you as just an an individual or like a person with a household like if you're doing anything like thinking about the future making any sort of like purchase or investment of your time or your money, what do you do? You talk to people, you go online, you try different things. And it's like, okay, first, like if it was like, okay, first you buy the car to, to use your metaphor, like yeah. you buy the car and then you drive it to see how well you like driving it after you bought it. Right. That nobody would do that. Or if it's like, okay, like the first car you test drive, you're committed to that kind of car as opposed to, oh, what you're going to do is you're going to look at people driving cars. You're going to talk to your friends who've recently bought a car. You're going to read reviews online and then you'll do a test drive and people sort of forget. Or if you're going to like cook a new thing for dinner, it's not like, oh, I'm going to make something up and then iteratively test it. It's like, no, you'll look online at different recipes and see how long they take. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just sort of like going back, Larissa, to like your journey of like feeling you were spinning your wheels and like needing to talk to people. And over time, you've come to like really like research that I was similar. Like when I got pushed over into the design thing and I was like, oh, I'm a designer now. It was really stressful to be like creative. Yeah. Right. And that was yeah. kind of like <laughs> pushing back into like talking to people because it was like, oh, the answers are there. I just need to be open to asking them and hearing them. That's, you know, I've said to Erica a couple of times, like, I feel like I really put my black turtleneck away because like, I just, for a time, I really felt like, oh, it's just about being creative, coming up with like creative problems, but creative solutions. And, but I realized that it was really difficult to do because like, I wasn't getting clear problem definition. And mm -hmm. once I had that being creative was less of a thing. Like it was just yeah. like, oh, yeah. I just need to do X because that's what people have showed me will work. And I think the other thing too is the overtime part. Like people always say to me, I get asked a lot, like, how do I, how do I learn about research? You do it. You just have to do it. Like you yeah. have to do lots of research. You have to talk to people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just the more you do it, the easier it gets, the better you are at knowing what to listen for, the better mm -hmm. you are at. And I think that's the thing, like, you, it's hard to push people into doing starting research, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, and I always love like when you work with a team, like the interviews at the beginning and the kind of the atmosphere amongst the team at the beginning of the project. And like at the end of the research week is always so night and day. Like at the beginning, it's very like formal and, mm -hmm. you know, nervous. And then at the end, it's like, you know, you can even hear them in the interviews, like it's more conversational and laid back and like they've realized it's not so scary. And that always for me is like great because it's like, okay, that's one study has kind of changed your mind. Now let's do more studies. And I do see designers who do more and more research. They, they get great at it. They're awesome at it, you know, but it's just kind of pushing them into that scary place out of like, I'm a creative. I should know how to solve this problem. I shouldn't need research yeah. to doing research and getting good at research, it's definitely a journey, but it's one that organizations have to be willing to put people on. Yeah. I think that's a big myth of creativity. It's like, what is creativity? And people, I think there's a it's sort of a folk wisdom definition that it's having brilliance inside yourself. But right. What it is, it's the practice of making novel connections among things that yeah, have exactly. value. Yep. And if anything, there's a lot of courage about like going through the unknown. 
mm-hmm. which yeah. I feel like, you know, to your point about qualitative research being something that you get better at, I think that's the piece that I, f- I can notice project to project changes mm-hmm. for me is that I'm, I'm better at being like, okay, there's still some unknown here, but I know enough to now like enter the next phase. Yeah. And it's not this like really clean argument that you can make, you know, it's not a statistical fact. It's just like, no, I have a feeling that we're going to just start to see some of the same and we can keep moving. And to me, that's the creativity. It's, it's like, oh, I, I'm chipping away at this problem and I can, I can kind of like take these pieces and put them together. And that feels really close to like, you know, if we wanted to go there, art making to me. (laughs) But you you have to know what the, what pieces you're working with. It's like, again, it's in every other endeavor of life. Ignorance is not a virtue, but somehow like we've heard this many times over the years at Mule clients come to us who say, well, like, blue sky it we don't we've had we've had clients um not give us access to information we asked for this has happened multiple occasions just about their past business or past tries at solving this problem and they're like oh we don't want to like we we don't want to infect your like creative mind with things that are wrong that we tried and we're like uh don't worry we're not going to look at something you tried that didn't work and that's going to impede our problem solving. We're going to know you did that and it didn't work. Or we're going to know, oh, that's what your customers do now. That would be a very useful thing if we're like yeah. we're trying to change something. Because it's like anything you do has to fit into the real world. And so you got to understand how the real world works. But there's still this like, oh, no, it's not a really truly creative idea unless it's spun- like spontaneous generation was a theory of evolution that we tossed out a long time ago. <laughs> Mice do not spontaneously appear. Yeah. Toads do not appear after the rain. Yeah. And like <laughs> ideas don't spontaneously appear after a designer has had a cup of coffee, you know? No, exactly. And that's, I think the connection making is a large part of the craft of it. One thing I have found a little bit frustrating is people see research as just process and not a craft itself. A big part of, you know, being a good researcher is being able to make those inferences and those connections and things. Like I've had, I've had so many like bosses or stakeholders or whatever say, uh, please document all your process so everyone can do it. And I'm uh... like, so would you ever say that to a designer? Please document your process. <laughs> like, what does that look like? You know, so it's interesting. Like research is kind of, not seen as a craft by a lot of these folks, but I think it's, it's also like the best designers I've ever worked with, you know, research was part of their craft. Mm -hmm. You know, they understood Mm -hmm. craft and it was part of what they did. And that is something I'd, I'd love to see more. And I'm starting, you you know, I think we are starting to see it more. I mean, that's one of the exciting things. It's slow going, but you know, people, (laughs) people are getting there. I think designers, you know, especially designers who've had a taste of research, go, Oh, this makes my life a lot easier. And, you know, and it kind of spreads through the organization too. Like, you know, developers, I've had a lot of developers and engineers where I've been like, yes, it's going to take an extra month to get you, you know, prototypes, but you're going to make the right thing. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to be coding the actual, you know, we're not going to be redoing this whole process in six months, hopefully. So it trickles out from design. It makes design more efficient. It makes, development more efficient, obviously, because you're not rebuilding the same thing three times. 
I always have had companies say like, oh, this research is really expensive and it's going to take time up front. And it's like, well, do you want to spend six weeks now or do you want to like invest, you know, 10 months of the entire team's time wasted? You know, and that's part of kind of like trying to demonstrate the value of research is is difficult when organizations have never really done it before. So that is definitely another challenge that we face. But again, it's getting easier. Yeah, because I think I think the issue with that is that if you do good research up front, you have the effect of stopping bad work. Yes. Which is good on balance, except except that the way a lot of organizations are set up, people defend their own budgets and their own programs. And so it is for individuals. And this is why we talk about the organizational component so much, because if you don't go in knowing that landscape and you say, hey, but we're going to save months and months of work and months and months of money to the wrong person, what you're saying is, I'm going to conveniently eliminate your job in the next three weeks. And I think when we talk about like things like research ops and, and like scaling and operationalizing all the stuff, it's like, that's why it has to connect to the whole way an organization makes decisions because yes. people, you can't set yourself up against somebody where their whole program, their whole budget, their whole product is based on false assumptions and a bad thing is going to happen. It might be a great thing for the customers. It might be a great thing for the world or the community for this product to die. But if if it's you versus somebody's like, work status and livelihood, which I think sometimes happens because people don't deal with these issues, then you're not making a good case. You might say like, oh, but this is going to be great. We're going to save all this time. And you're like, no, what you're doing is you're devaluing my work as right, a designer exactly. and engineer, as a product owner. Um, have you have you seen that situation? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think you've brought up, you know, we've discussed this in the past, Erica, this, even the idea of like, ego, right? Like, you, you know, you're coming in and saying like, you have somebody on high who said, oh, this, this, and this is the case. And these are my, their assumptions, right? And so like, it's difficult to research can disprove a lot of assumptions and like mm-hmm. closely held beliefs that teams have had for a long time. And that people in positions of power in organizations have touted as like, you know, gospel. And so Research is difficult and scary in that regard, too, because if you come in and you're like, well, actually, yeah, right, <laughs> this is the case. And I think one of the things, Erica, that I have learned a lot from you is this idea that as researchers, we can be really focused on like our research participants and like our customers, but we don't think about the organization, like the people in our context that, you know, we are turning around and, and handing this data to. And as you said, it as, as you just pointed out, like to us, we're like, wow, efficiencies, good product alignment, you know, great experience. Mm-hmm. But it may, as you say, be seen as devaluing a feature somebody's been working on for months that maybe isn't as needed. Or as I said, like you may be kind of making someone in a position of authority or power look less so because they were wrong. And that's a difficult thing. I think the best stakeholders I've worked with have been the ones who are very much like, bring me what I, you know, tell me what I need to know. You know, like I'm, I don't, I'm not going to have ego about being wrong. You know, I don't have any assumptions. Bring me the research. We'll go from there. We'll figure it out. But I've also worked in organizations where it was like, no, wrong. You're wrong. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So 
it's tough and it's, it's how, how do you kind of take those learnings and get buy-in from people mm-hmm. that they're, they're real and, and actionable and things that we should care about. Yeah. And I think, I think that we have to work on this in a couple levels. Like one of, one of them is like the big background level that goes again to that whole, we need a whole model of decision-making that is absent right now and and is in everybody's little discipline. And I think we, we have to like for designers, for business people, for developers, for researchers, eliminate the idea that your value as a contributor in an organization is connected to you having the answers. Right. I think that's sort of the background we're all working again that sets up these these bad dynamics and sets up this waste and this inability to have an honest conversation. So it's like it, it, as much as possible, if everybody in an organization like makes it safe for people to say, oh, I don't know. Oh, let's look into that. Or if somebody says, hey, I just realized that I was wrong about something or, you know, and, and just having that be the culture, like that's a culture of innovation because that's a culture yeah. that's open to learning. Exactly. I think with our clients, you can kind of see the differences in projects, honestly, based upon how much skin they had in the game Mm -hmm. for what the outcome of that project was going to be. Right. Right. And so I think what must be hard about organizations that are just starting to do research is they're often very like hesitant about it. So they're like, okay, yeah. Or even, um, I mean, I was like, uh, the first user interface designer at a company that was difficult because, it was almost like they were running an experiment on like, does user interface matter to our people? And it's so much better to work with an organization that's like, hey, we know if we don't get this right, we might not have our business in six months. And it right. it, mm-hmm. it seems like that's terrifying, but yeah. it's actually so much better. And the work is, you know, yeah, order of magnitude better because the, yeah. they really need it. And that's the that's what I've seen as the, as the main difference. Cause instead of arguing about it, they're like, okay, great. Right. All right. We thought this thing. Now we know this thing. Let's like, let's make this happen, you know? And, and that's so exciting. So uplifting at the end, even mm-hmm. though it is tough to start on those projects, because when you go around to see where people are at and how they're learning, there's a lot of fear. Yeah. Yeah. That's where so much of our work is now since we've moved from you know, the more design execution stuff to working with organizations to create the conditions to do design. A big part of that is what most people would call like, like the it's working on the research part of it. I mean, it's really working on making better design and business decisions. But the place I think where the most work needs to be done is in that place that most people call like doing more research, you know, right. and having a research informed strategy. So, so we can come in and a lot of times it's easier to come in and you know this, you come in from the outside to bring those truths. It's yeah. um, a lot more palatable a lot of times than being in an organization. Yeah. Cause you can hand off the unpopular opinions and be like, okay, good luck. <laughs> good luck with that. Thanks. Bye. Call me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think, and I think too, Erica, the other thing about research being successful in an organization is like, you know, and I had a great project that I worked on uh, recently where my key stakeholder came to me and, and came to us and said, okay, look, we need to increase upgrades and renewals by existing customers by X amount in this amount of time. That was awesome because it's like, okay, I can, I can ask good research questions from there. Right. So like, I think one of the first lines of attack in like, 
doing good research is that like having clear metrics and goals from the top, from the business. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the time they're not there. You know, like as I said, you know, like I used to be the annoying web analytics girl who would be told to set up the tools that they'd spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on. But I would say, okay, so what, what do you want to learn? What are your business goals? Like what's, what does success look like for you? And I'd get blank stares and that always terrified me. And I think like, that's when I, you know, we talk about like web analytics, how does that fit into like what I'm doing today? Understanding metrics and pushing, you know, teams to kind of define what success looks like from there and then work, working backwards, you know, like having that, mm-hmm. that, those parameters of like existing customers, this type of action over this period of time. Cool. We know who we need to talk to. We, you know, we can kind of work, work backwards from there and build good research questions and build effective research. And it really was effective research. It was great. You know, it it pushed them in a new strategic direction that was very clear and that they could move forward on and start to do those like lower levels of research that I talked about, like looking at concepts related to how we'd execute that strategy and then potentially products, you know, that aligns with those concepts and working down that chain of like more granular research. But it starts at the top, like having, you know, I, I think a lot of people think, user research is like, oh, we're just going to talk to people. We're just going to go out and talk to people. And that's, you know, (laughs) that gets scary. Like that's where we get into anecdata. You know, we have 200, we have 200 million customers, but Bob says we should do this. And then they all run to do what Bob says. That's a little, that's not good. Yeah. You need kind of structure in, in your research and it starts from having clear goals, even if it's, you know, that type of thing, like some type of metric that's understood at the top and some understanding of like what success would look like, because then we can always work back and build and design research around that. But if without that, it's difficult. Yeah, it sounds so basic, but it's so often neglected in practice. You have to have a clear shared goal or or nothing, nothing will be successful because you don't know what that looks like. Yeah. And I think that goes to what, you know, you've talked about Erica, this idea of like working with the organization to build a context where that's possible. Right. And yeah, a lot of organizations are not there and that's the work that needs to happen first. Yeah. So go, go forth, go forth and and define your goal. Okay. So I think that's a, that's a great, I think, idea to leave people with (laughs) is do no work without a goal. And that will tell yeah. you what you need to know. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Lynn. No, thank you for having me. Love talking about this stuff. Yeah. And uh, you can tweet at us, vodrocks, V-O-D underscore R-O-C-K-S. If you have any questions or, or things to tell us. And of yeah. course, tell all your friends. Um, give us nice ratings on all the podcast uh, places that you can rate us. And thanks again for listening and we will catch you next time.